welcome to Warhammer 40k Book Club, Episode 3, in which we talk about Blood of Ajax by Robbie McNiven. Okay, where did my book go? Here it is. Yes. I think it's Robbie. Robbie Mc McNiven. 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 This correct us. Um, it's by Robbie Mac. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the guy from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> uh, I like Always Sunny. So this book we chose quite by uh, accident, serendipity. This was originally we were planning on jumping, going from Dark Imperium straight to Plague War. But I think in the post intestines hanging out, pustules ugh, of Dark Imperium, we needed a little bit of a break. And Blood of Ajax, I think, arguably provided a pretty nice break in that it was very light. It was a little fluffier in so much as there's like a lot going on in Dark Imperium and they're setting up a lot of stuff around in the world. And it's it's much more of a denser read. So we wanted something that was like the equivalent of a candy bar. Well, and, that and it's, yeah, uh, let's see, oh. it's 400 pages shorter than the last book. So yeah, yeah, that's the other thing too. We wanted a, uh, you know, something you could sit and eat in one sitting as it were. And it was uh, a book that I had already got at the Black Library Celebration, and I was talking about it, and Jim was like, oh, but I want to read that book, too. So we just figured might as well. Yeah, my husband make it. read it when it first came out, and he really, really liked it. We'll talk more about that in a second. But and so he, when I had said, oh, I think Carrie's going to read Blood of Ajax. Oh, yeah, you guys should definitely both read that. So glad we did. Uh, so let's dive on into it. First off, did you enjoy the book? It's a loaded question, actually, because <sighs> no, I, in the end, no, um, like I was looking through my notes and I was like, I even wrote in here, like after I finished reading it, not really a fan of the book. Um, but that's nothing to do with uh, Robbie Mack's uh, writing because the orcs <laughs> were very entertaining. Um, I loved how he captured the, their dialogue. Uh, and, and, and he is a, a good writer. It's just, I didn't like the main characters. They just weren't compelling. Yeah, and I think we talked about this before. For me, the orc chapters are A+. Yeah, oh, I absolutely. enjoyed reading them. I got really excited when I saw Grim 2 for Urgok come up. Um, I really liked the guard chapters, actually, Hanlon. I really yeah. liked those chapters. I got a little disappointed when I came upon a Castor or a Polixus chapter. So I felt as though the orcs were A-plus material. The guard chapters were good. High B, mm -hmm. A. The space marine chapters were more like C. Um, and so it kind of, if you average that out and we're not grading on a bell curve, it was like a high C, low B. Maybe. Yeah. C, yeah. Probably more like a C. And it's, and as you said, it, it's written well, mechanically, it's really great. Um, and I liked, you know, I liked the concept of the overall story. And it, it's not, it's nothing against Robbie McNiven. It's, <laughs> he made, he fell for with the classic blunders. He made a villain. And it's the Black Panther syndrome. He made a villain infinitely more compelling than this hero. Like, Urgork, it was just so much fun. And I think um, we'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute, but this is probably the first book I've ever read that was from the orc point of view. I know it's mine. It was, it was so much fun. I... If I could like have gone back in time and sat in on the pitch meeting for this, I would have told them just 100% orcs, just 100% orcs, just do it. Um, yes. And I think one of the things that I really did like about it too, is that they managed to, they managed to keep the, they made it so that it wasn't too hard to read the orcs. You could hear their dialect. Yes. You could hear the Cockney, you could hear, you could, some of the words. 
uh, one of the pages that I had marked is when he was stumbling over the word abomination. Abomination. Mm -hmm. And you could hear him doing that, right? But it wasn't like... So on Reddit, when you read Orc Science, which by the way, if you have not subscribed to the subreddit for Orc Science, do yourself a favor. But you have to like read it aloud. Yeah. The phonics of it because it's just impossible to read. Um, so he managed to balance that out so well. I could have read the whole book in Orc. It would have been amazing. Which I think brings us to, so, so that we can cut to that particular conversation. Um, what was your favorite part of the book? Oh, let's see. I don't know if, actually, no, I do have an answer. I don't remember the orc's name, but I remember is it was uh, a little one. It wasn't like, uh, it wasn't the doctor or one of the higher ups, but it was this, gosh, I wish I could remember his name, but this one, he, there was a, Thing where he was trying to get something out of, I guess, a workshop or something, and the Gretchen, was, yes, and he was trying to get away from a bigger orc, and you know, was running through, and just and stuff fell on the bigger orc, and he was just like, oh, thank God, I got away with it, and then bolts. It's just, it was a, to just that one little moment was like this really unique. Um, looking at the dynamic mm-hmm. of, of the orcs, it's like because you know normally when you um read anything about the orcs it's just you know the constant killing and killing and killing um and so yes that is all that they do and they even say that they don't know what else to do like that's just what what they do and they even talk about you know how they don't understand the beakies and the humans or the humies because of you know they want to build these things and you know a commune together and they're all like what are you doing if you're not crumping something uh you know so to me, it was just, it was a really nice way of just kind of seeing really how the whole dynamic works from the little ones all the way up to the the uh, bigger orcs. Yeah, and I I don't know that I can point to a favorite scene either. Um, pretty much anything with the orcs, they, as you said, we don't typically get to see that. It's just this mindless horde of and. The orcs are terrifying, like, and you see that in these in the human chapters. You see how terrifying mm-hmm. the orcs are because it's just this mindless force that's just there to kill. But <laughs> it was funny to see those little scenes where, especially when they were confused, where they're just like, "We just want a good crumpin'. right? Why is this a problem?" And so it was funny to see that from their point of view. That yes, they they're not the brightest bulbs, and they are pretty. You could argue that they are fairly mindless in their desk in their want to just destroy stuff but i think for me and this is actually very early in the book but it was probably if i had to point to one favorite part is when they describe the rock because i've always like i've heard of them before right and i think i've even seen it in a story before but like i haven't ever heard as good of a description of the rock as they get in there and i just had his description of it was so perfect i could picture just this big giant rock with a warp drive in it being pulled <laughs> by a ship i mean it's the most it's the orkiest thing in the entire book that's see this is the first time i've ever heard of the rock mm-hmm. and i laughed really hard i'm like you know only the orcs would come up with something like this i think that's oh did i mark the page i think he even says something like that too where he's like uh the person who's to, who's watching it is just like only the orcs only the orcs and it was effective right it was super effective um the thing that i really liked yeah i think it's circus who's just like it's this is the only thing that an orcs could come up with the thing that i love about orc technology in general is that it only works in orc hands and there's a, there's like a huge theory about why that is because they're psychers. <laughs> That's the theory I've heard. It's because they're psychers. Yeah. So because they believe it works, it works. It works. Yeah, that's that's also the theory that I have heard. And I don't know if that's accurate, but it makes it so delightful. Mm-hmm. It's so delightful. So yeah. It would so be yes, attaching a warp drive to a a uh, an asteroid uh, would not work. <laughs> Apparently, because they wanted to. 
Yeah, it would not work for normal humans and space marines and not even a little bit. Um, so how do the orc point of view chapters help or hinder the story? Which is again, I think kind of a loaded question. <laughs> well, I mean, it totally Man, I'm I I'm sorry, Robbie, but um this story would have been boring with with, with without the orcs and it's just because Castor and Polixis are just they're flat characters. Uh, like they are just like, you know, when people think, you know, I would get in arguments all, all the time with one of our friends who would talk about how he didn't understand why I like the Ultramarines because they're all so boring and so stiff. Right. And yes, I understand that. But, you know, where I'm coming from, like, you know, I was reading, you know, Uriel Ventress, who is not flat at all, or Pisanius, his best friend, who is really a very dynamic character. Um, and, you know, they're his mentor before he passed on his, his sword, you know. So I've seen some different sides. Yes, could I, but these guys are almost, like, if you took, like, the Ultramarine Codex, like, as in the game Codex, this is these guys. Just. Yeah, and I, mission, I definitely, we definitely want to dive into that more later because I think we had the same opinion on that and how very strange that was our actually let's tackle that really quickly then the primaris marine so reading dark imperium coming just coming off of dark imperium the primaris marines are a little more human and they're more akin to the horus heresy marines than the og space marines right i didn't get that opinion reading this no no the only the only almost humanizing thing about it is that these two uh, as what shocked me reading, see, where was that page? Oh, page 108, where they talk about how the, unlike the rest of the Primaris Space Marines, they were not VAT-born. I'm like, wait, hold on a second. So, so you're saying that Belarius Call is just, or Belisarius Call is just growing test tube babies like they did the Primarchs? They're making, you know, Damn it, I forgot. I wanted, so that brings up a good point. When I read that, my first thought, I thought I was, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. And I wanted to go back into Dark Imperium and double check that because I was pretty sure that one of the characters in um, Dark Imperium specifically talks about when he was recruited into the Primaris. Yes. They were, they were kept in stasis and stuff over the years as Felix. they were being tinkered with. Yes, Felix t talked about that. Yes. So I, and maybe it's possible that they, you know, it was like a half and a half sort of thing where they recruited some and then they grew some, like a chia pet. But I, like sea monkeys, more like, I guess. Um, but I, that, that line stuck out to me as being weird because I didn't, I, and I meant to research it and I totally forgot. Um, that felt a little odd. I guess that was a little bit of a surprise to me. Right, which then makes it even more surprising. So, all right, so you have these two guys who are literal, literal blood brothers, which I thought was actually right. pretty cool that they both would be, you know, recruited into the um, cool. Ultramarines. I mean, the Primaris program, but considering they're from Ajax and in the Ultramar system, it's not like they would go to the Raven Guard or anything. Um, but... These two guys, though, who were human first, had the least personality out of any of the other Primaris Marines that they're with who are VAT-born. So just, and, you know, they, they talk about, Castor mentions that, you know, that Polixus doesn't remember anything of his human life. But yet, that's something George drove me crazy. It was that Castor said twice he's haunted by their childhood. But then they never say what it was that was so haunting. Yeah. And well, after, that was like a, that was a weird, that was a weird thing that kept coming up. Yeah, because like that one scene in which Polixus suddenly gets a memory of them laying on the ground, looking at the stars and it, why? Like my, when I read it, I was like, cool. And I thought it was going to come back. And it, 
somehow that seemed to be the way that he established that, oh, these two are brothers and they have this bond because they're getting memories of it. Well, I, I was... Okay, so just the fact that Castor kept saying he was, he said it twice, that he was haunted by their childhood. I was wondering, like, okay, so is this going to be the defining moment of why these guys are so interesting? Is right. what is when Polixus is captured, is that going to bring back some memory of what Castor has to do? And it never happened. It never no. unfolded. Mm-mm. No, and I, that was the thing, too. So... As an aside, you said that there was a short story for it. And I was like, oh, maybe that's where all of this interest. Or maybe they're setting it up to be. This does kind of read like the first entry into a series. This actually did remind me in a I, lot of ways. It reminded me of that first Ultramarines book. Well, I even made notes at the end. It's like, it's, I mean, just because of the way that ended with the orcs. Uh, with that one, I don't remember his name, where he drags off the Gretchen that I found so funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like, well, obviously this is not over. Right. Oh, I can't think of his name. It's like Scabrot or something like something that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cog Russia. Cog Crusha. <laughs> yeah, no, it, Some... it... That was that was strange. It definitely felt... I would read the sequel if it was all the orcs. I would be so excited for it. <laughs> Tell me what happens afterwards, especially since they take, or spoilers, they take Urgork's head because that cog crusher grabs the head and he's dragging off with it. So I, I don't know. I, it was weird. It was this weird dichotomy of they kept going back, trying to talk about their human childhood. But I have read several books that have chaplains in them. Caster felt like the most extreme and indoctrinated. In the beginning of the book, I actually kind of liked it because I thought it was a little funny where in the very beginning, like the first scene that we get to see him, he's mm-hmm. overextended himself because he just has the power of the Holy Spirit in him and he has to crush these orcs. And I thought <laughs> that was great. The power of Christ compels you. Exactly. I thought that was actually great, right? Because I was like, oh yeah, look at this. He's totally into this. But then as the book continues to go on and he keeps talking about the Emperor's spirit and that's even more extreme than most of the Ultramarines. And the Ultramarines, you can argue, are well, actually, I guess from the religious standpoint, they're not even that big into it. Um, he just felt even more indoctrinated than the Ultramarines did. At the same time, though, made this note, page 176, Caster was talking about the rigidity of the codex and points out that the codex, if they were going to follow the codex to 100%, the codex wouldn't allow the primaris to exist. Yes, he does but, acknowledge that. Which I, you know, is a really funny meme going on with uh, Reboot Gulliman about, you know, it's like, hey, you just violated your own codex. <laughs> oh, yeah. The primaris marines. Oh, um, yeah. Well, Gulliman doesn't give a single shit. <laughs> But yeah, I did actually, I had that down there that the view of the Codex and his teaching are more malleable and have become increasingly commonplace since the return of the Great Gullament. It was the view often associated with the chapter's primaris contingent, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, so there was this weird, I guess. And Castor even points out how that when you command, you're always going to be an error of the Codex, which just goes against, like, everything the Ultramarines go for. So you have this, you know, Southern Baptist on high, yet, what rules? Whatever. So he's kind of, like, got that dichotomy. He actually, actually, you know what? I think you nailed it. He feels more like he adheres, he would be more in line with the ecclesiarchy then mm. with the ultramarines he definitely felt more like a southern baptist where it's fire and brimstone and those laws and rules and stuff that's not as important as the rules of spirit or right. religion aspect and whereas so have- polixis is actually the other way right and he feels more <laughs> feels more like to me, he feels more, uh, Polixis feels just, I don't know how to word this. He 
feels that's the one like when you were talking about how flat they felt caster had a personality i just didn't particularly like his personality polixis doesn't even really feel like he has a personality it was so i know i quote this a lot but it's one of my favorite game series so back off um there is a quote from Ben Yahtzee Crawshaw when he's talking about Dead Space. And he talks about Isaac Clark and how, you know, he's all sad because his girlfriend has died. And he's like, oh, it's like asking me to feel sad for a brick because it's lost its brick children, and its brick wife. And because he didn't have any personality. And that's reading this with Polixis. I kept thinking about that when he's like, I remember my childhood. I was like, oh, the brick had a childhood. There just wasn't a lot there to him, I didn't think. Well, I guess, and again, going back to the question about the orcs, it kind of hindered it because the orcs have so much personality. Or was it serving as, uh, let's look at these differences. Like, you know, uh, right. the orcs do have this personality and then here's these two who really don't. Although what I was going to say before my youngest son decided to come in and ask me a question. Um, so... Like we said with Castor, he's got, you know, the, the dichotomy of the fire and brimstone preacher, but yet pff, rules, whatever. Whereas Polixis is like, these are the rules. This is the codex. I am following this. And um, if you do read the short story, Brother's Confession, which is uh, actually the, uh, it's the prequel to this. It's actually what got him started writing this. It's 100% Polixis. Basically, he would be that uh, that confessing Catholic already flogging himself because he didn't follow this one rule. And that's how opposite they are. It's almost like Polixus doesn't have the same spirit as Castor, but he's definitely more of this is what I have to do at all times. And it's like right. even, even when he's captured by the orcs, he doesn't even try to play anything off. He doesn't even try to be like, oh, sure, yeah, I'll help you, and then try to escape. He's just like, nope, you're an abomination, and there's no way I will. It's like, dude, like, bend a little bit, like, try to get them on your side, and then try to escape. Nope, he's just, nope, not going to do it. Yep. Which, well, I guess that actually does feel a little bit in line with the Ultramarines, because, yeah. So I guess it was, maybe it was just, I just didn't like the characters that much. Mm -hmm. And again, so I think in some ways, in some ways, so this is the dichotomy of the book, right? Is that the orc chapters help because one of the things I've always liked about the orcs, and I don't know who thought this up at Games Workshop, but this person was absolutely brilliant. Whoever thought to themselves, oh, orcs should be Cockney. Brilliant. And they're hilarious. Their technology's hilarious. Their lookout, their view of things is hilarious. Their very nature is very funny. Um, I mean, in a macabre kind of way, right? Like yes. they're killing each other and then they're just like, anyways, right? Right. Well, it's like my very first experience with them, of course, was playing um, Warhammer 40,000 Space Marine. Oh, right, right, right. And I would go back and forth between like, you know... Basically, like, bending over my knees and my lap, laughing at what the orcs were saying to being utterly terrified as I was being overrun and couldn't activate my fury fast enough to heal myself. Right. Well, it makes them, it makes them a great enemy because they are terrifying, especially in this book. Actually, I think this book, one of the things they really did well, especially with the human chapters, is capturing how tough and unkillable these things are it really is like fighting a space marine because they're big and they don't really feel pain like we know of it and they have no fear of dying and yeah i mean they can take several several bullets these guys are not mm -hmm. and they're not it's like fighting a space marine and they're so that was they captured that horror of it but they're still funny because I don't have to view them. Again, would you like to live in your fantasy universe? No. No, not so much. Not did, you so ever, much. did you ever read Shrike? I did, yes. Well, there was, I remember early on and in that, and um, I think it was someone in the Raven Guard was actually, you know, researching the orcs. And they were Ooh. talking about how their nervous system is set up in a way 
that their pain sensors are scattered everywhere. So you have no idea where to shoot to make it hurt. They said the only way to do it is to shoot off their head. That is yep. the only way for them to slow down and to feel pain because then they're absolutely dead. Right. Yeah, exactly. But again, and you know, I don't think, I think like outside of the books, we get to see the humor of them because especially if you look at like the names of their figures and their armies and obviously on Reddit, there's so many memes with them. They're hilarious. I mean, you got to love a group that has something actually called weird boys and they're serious. I love the weird boys. Well, and I, I just like the fact that they refer to themselves as boys. It's just great. Like, they are a really funny. And yeah, Warhammer 40k Space Marine, that game was probably the first one where I was like, oh, we're actually getting to hear them, like, really, really see how they interact and how they work. And so that's one of the reasons that this will remain just an awesome like, reading experience for me was because getting to see things from their point of view and, like, hearing that inner working of what... Mm-hmm. How they're looking at the what? Okay, this is if anybody for anybody watching, um, the pronunciation. I do know the correct pronunciation. Oh, is you did. Loud. Oh no, loud and in a growly voice. But uh, wog, wag, waga, wog. I'm going with wog for now. Yeah, that's what I've always said. I need to, anybody who has listened to any of the audiobooks, I need to, I need just to check in with our friend Drew because he listens to the audiobooks all the time. I know he's heard it. Oh, yeah. Whatever, whatever they say for this book in there, I'd love to know. But actually hearing like their thought process on the log and why they're doing this and what's going on here, that was. There's no why. They just want a good crumpin'. That's all there is to it. That's amazing. (laughs) Like listening to them just being like, we're just trying to crump like we're just trying to destroy everything and their words for everything i love beakies and humies and yes i the weird boys are easily one of my favorites but everything pain boys too um so that is wonderful because it helps so much but as you said it also so it helps because that makes the book really fun to read but then it also the space marine chapters just can't keep up because you have this like funny oh my god what is happening right now and then the next scene is we must we must follow the rules and we must do this and i'm very serious right now i'm also with with us actually talking about it i'm actually wondering now if that was done on purpose it might have been actually just to show that because now that i'm thinking about it it does show that these guys are just crazy Mm -hmm. it is and it's and it's funny because they're not chaos per se, but it's chaos. It's anarchy. Like, it's just a, the way that they behave and they think. Yeah, and they, it's, it's straight up anarchy, which is funny, right? And then you get to go back and see order. So, help Right. Them. But then you also, you jump into the guards point of view. And I like that because like, oh, here's like an entirely... Uh, different perspective on on what is going on especially harlan or hanlon because she doesn't seem to appreciate the space marines being there at all no and so i actually i really liked the guard chapters because on one hand well so on multiple hands here they it really showed an interesting facet so on one hand it showed just the animal horror that the orcs would instill, right? Mm-hmm. Especially, like, I think that one of the first chapters in which we meet Hanlon, she's just running for her life. Running scared, running terrified, and they talk about, I think it's Polixis who lifts her up off the ground, and she doesn't even really know what's going on mm-hmm. at that point. So, you have the space marines who are, okay, this is an enemy, we're gonna deal with it, Up, oh, one of our guys just died, it's cool, we'll get his gene seed, let's keep going. And then you have the guard who are actually a little bit more terrified because they actually are afraid of dying, so to speak. And so I really liked that, but I agree with your assessment is that she, she was a little in awe of the space Marines, obviously, because most people are, but she also did seem to have this, I think it's her end chapter where she's like, yep. And okay. Now that they're gone, they're leaving. Well, I mean, cause she talks about like, you know, whose idea was this like is more of not that, 
I probably phrased it wrong. It's not that she didn't appreciate them being there. She just did not agree with the decisions they were making. Right. No, I would agree with that completely. And I think in many ways she was right because it did kind of seem that the Marines were throwing humans as meat shields while they were doing their thing. Operation Get Behind the Humies. <laughs> I mean, it's they, it was... South Park references. Oh my god. A little off color. <laughs> but huh, no, no it, pun intended. Well, but it is, right? Because it's that's one of the great and I think I like books like this that really show that is that that's one of the the Imperium is basically Russia. They've got body all of the bodies in the world to throw at a problem. And they don't I mean human life in the grim dark future is very cheap. Right, I think it's what, I don't remember if you said it on this podcast, um, but you said it to me before, where that, you know, the Imperium is about mankind, not man individually. Yes. And it's like, it's funny because I was um, telling my husband actually about your favorite Ultramarines book, mm-hmm. the one with the towel. And... Uh, <laughs> And I was, you know, kind of going over it with them. And I said, you know, how they were able to stop it was that they was that basically they said, you can either leave on your own or we will exterminate this plant, exterminate this planet, because we'd rather everyone here die than to be under your rule. Which Shalom was like, whoa, that's that's harsh. Like, yeah, you know, at the time reading is like, damn, like that's really over extreme. But that just shows how serious they are, that they would rather lose everybody on that planet to possibly lose mankind to the Tau. Well, right, because they know that the Tau, and this is literally with the Tau because they use mind control in their, um, to get people to follow them. If you lose one planet to them, they'll just start hop, skipping, and jumping. Oh, yeah, it's like an infection. Yeah, exactly. And um, they, yeah, absolutely. They would, they will sacrifice an entire planet rather than get let the Tau have one foothold. So it's extreme, but it's true. Mm-hmm. They're definitely, they're definitely, um, usually I complain when people don't see the forest for the trees. <laughs> They've forgotten that there's even trees in there. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like even um, Reboot said in Dark Imperium, when that priest is like, did he love us? Did he love us? And he was like, no. Well, he didn't say it, but in his mind, he's like, no, he loves mankind. So, I mean, so technically, yes, you Not love. you individually. But not a, you. He didn't give a shit about you individually. <laughs> like, just so we're clear. No, it's, uh, again, it's the Obi-Wan argument. It's true from a certain point of view. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which because, is what Reboot went with. And he was like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes? Question mark? Um, yeah. And I, I think the guard chapters did a good job with that i liked they definitely had more personality um i and maybe it's because i really like the gaunt's ghost series i have like a ton of gaunt's ghosts over here um maybe it's because i really like the gaunt's ghost series i really like the guard in general so i liked seeing them in this and again it gives kind of that it gives that I guess literally more human element to it. And it makes it a little bit more relatable because it's sometimes it's hard when you're reading, especially like with the caster chapters, mm-hmm. no frame of reference to this character. Well, I have no, no common ground with this person at all. Right. Really. So, you know, I, I thought it was a really good turn of events in it. I think the ones that I kind of, the, so you have caster and Polixis and then you start to, um, you start to, and I apologize on the post that we put online for our discussion. I used the wrong word. I put Vanguard instead of Reaver. But you also have these Reaver Space Marine chapters where these are the guys who still Space Marines, but they're scouts. So they're a little bit lighter armored. And those guys definitely seem to have, like Severus, I think, had much more personality. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because I would even, I, I questioned a few times, I'm like, are these with the same group? Because <laughs> they don't seem to go together. Yeah. Yeah. No, completely. And um, they were different. They definitely had more of a, they had a, I think, 
they were different from the other Primera Space Marines that we've seen in general, too. They had, well, I guess, is scouty? Like, much more scouty mindset. Like, they they seemed a little bit, I usually hate this word, but scrappier than the regular Space Marines. Yeah. Not, said, almost like they had a little bit of Raven Guard in them. <laughs> because they were fast. They got in, they didn't mess around, and they were out. Yes. Chicks, you think were... Teen Titans go in and out. <laughs> yes, Robin would have been proud. Yes. Um, yes, they do. Well, the scouts, I feel in general, always feel a little bit more Raven Guardy because, you know, yeah, to your point, they're just like, ah, we're going to get in, we're going to get out, we're not messing around, we got one job. And um, so I like that. It, they felt a little bit more no-nonsense, no but also, yeah, having more of a personality. So I think if I had to point to my favorite character in the whole book, it would probably be Severus for the home team. Um, I really liked Grimtooth. Yes, I, he was mine. <laughs> he... <laughs> So the part that I knew that I was going to like this character is in the beginning when, oh, who's the orc? Stab Scar. Hmm. When he gets killed and he vomits up all over his uh, poncho. Oh, God. You know, all right. Hold on a second here. <laughs> so what is up with, like, all the vomiting and, oh, it's like every book I read. Like, like right now I'm reading... Um, False gods and you know book two the Horus heresy and I got to the plague planet I'm just like God why why can I not get away from this and they're describing that I just oh like it wasn't as stomach turning as like the plague as like the plague marines and the the plague demons but man what a horrible way to go <laughs> you're vomiting up your liquefied organs honestly. I had a moment when I was reading about it that I had to take a step back. Like, I put the book down and I was like, this might be the most horrific death we've seen in a while in these books. Like, I was trying to think of, because it, I think in Dark Imperium, when the one guy starts to turn to, remember the guardsman that we've been following with the group with the one, one, one. That wasn't nearly as bad. It, it, that, so my first thought is, I was like, oh yeah, that guy went pretty badly. And then I was like, you know, Actually, it wasn't as graphic. So at least he was laughing. Congratulations, Robic McNiven. You outdid Dark Imperium in terms of graph graphic oh, deaths. Yeah, even reading it, I was like, Ew. but so he's given the poncho that the guy just vomited himself up in, right? And he's kind of holding it. But then he goes out to talk to the troops and he throws it off. <laughs> and at that point, I was like, I like this guy because <laughs> like, it's so repugnant, but unapologetically repugnant and not in the, my intestines are dangling out of me kind of way. Yeah. So at I least mean, there wasn't that, I guess. <laughs> that was, that was shot again. That, that was probably, and it's so early in the book, but it was one of the few, it, it was a scene that I was not expecting that no. level of violence. I, well, I, I had a feeling he was going to kill him. Yeah. But I didn't think it would be like that. And I, I think really the funniest part, aside from him, like suddenly just walking over there and picking up the cloak and throwing it at Grimtooth, was the other orcs who were doing everything they can to get away from this pool of stuff that's just forming. So I think I loved this scene because... When I was a kid, we used to watch Gremlins 2 over and over and over again. And I still love it as an adult because if you ever want like a really great Hollywood story, look up the story behind Gremlins 2. I promise you it'll give you a new appreciation for the movie. But at the end of the movie, for people who haven't seen it or who don't remember it, they have all of these Gremlins in a hotel room or like a uh, atrium. No, it's a office building, atrium. And they end up getting them wet. And if you remember, gremlins start popping out new gremlins, kind of like an orc. Mm. And then they electrocute them. And so it 
it's it's such a disgusting scene, but you know, like a twelve year old, I loved it. As they're melting and they're bubbling and they're still talking, and it's so gross because just this flesh is just melting, and that's all I could picture was the scene from Gremlins Two <laughs> with this guy melting down. So I actually found the scene shocking because again, I was like, I was not expecting this. But it like triggered this memory of watching Gremlins 2 in my mind. And I was like, I love this. <laughs> Which I think is why when he put the cape on, it was like, I'm in charge now. That's a good guy. Boy. <laughs> good boy, yes. <laughs> He's one of the good lads. <laughs> but I... Again, I keep coming back to the fact that that was so much fun. And then I went back to the, going back to the Space Marines, I was always like, oh. Well, you know, I, and I don't know how to, I guess it's like, so the way that it made me feel was, I think it's season two, or it might be season three of Game of Thrones. They utterly destroyed Daenerys' character. Um, her dragons get stolen and she spends the entire season screaming at the top of her lungs, where are my dragons? Hated it. So we would be watching Game of Thrones and that was back when I was still watching it and enjoying it. That reminds me, see now you're making me think of Christian Bale of just like, where's the trigger? <laughs> In the constipated voice. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, but like, it reminded me of how I would love to watch everything that was going on and then they would get to a scene with Daenerys and my first reaction would be, <sighs> this again. So when I was reading and I would get to the end of an orc chapter and then it would say, caster. <sighs> oh. <laughs> right. Which I think, I think is credit only because you should not be rooting for the orcs under any circumstances. So the fact that I was... <laughs> Every time. It's like... I wouldn't say rooting for him. It was just, you know, more fun to, to read. I mean, oh, no, I wasn't rooting for him. Like, I was still happy. I was still happy when, you know, the Marines saved the day. You know, in the Marines' way, they took care of the threat and they were like, well, have fun cleaning it up. Yeah, oh, yeah. And bubbles. Um Right, which is kind of, that's why I... I don't think your point was entirely inaccurate about Hamlin because mm -hmm. sure enough at the end when they're like, okay, this is done. Enjoy. We're out. There's, I mean, they dropped a rock onto this planet. From space. This planet's a little messed up right now. And I know that that's not, ugh, this is one of the things where I kind of go back and forth on this one because I know technically that's not the space Marines problem. Right. Not the diplomats that reboot Gilliman and everybody else imagined they would be someday. But part of me was like, guys, can't you at least like, I don't know, pick up some statues or something? Do something. <laughs> On the way out. Yeah, like write a statue and then be like, we did something. Um, I mean, they did a lot. I'm not gonna say they didn't. But that's always one of the things I think we talk, we've talked about, we talked about it with the Magos and I think we talked about it in Dark Imperium too, where these, you know, they kind of remind me of the fire department. Yeah. The fire department is there to put out the fire and make sure that you are safe. Yeah. And then they're like, well, later. Sorry yeah, that your much. house is like three feet of water in it. You got all this burn damage and whatever. But, you know, we did our part and now we're leaving. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that, I mean, that's that's pretty accurate. Like, we, we did our part. I am... Um... So the thing that I keep going back over is that Urgork had a plan he needed Polixis for. He gets Polixis. The story then becomes about a brother going to hunt for his brother. I'm not sure. So here's the question I would pose to you that I would pose to anybody who read this. Did it really matter that they were blood brothers? Um, I think so in a way because I don't see the chaplain leading the charge for a rescue mission like this. Right. 
they would have sent, you know, the Reavers, you know, in and out. Um, because they would have need the they would have needed the apothecary. And even um their their captain or yeah, their captain or their sergeant who was now acting as captain was even saying, It's like, I can't lose you too. You have to stay here and then Castor went on ahead. There's no way a chaplain would have gone on ahead after any other Marine when he was ordered not to, unless mm-hmm. he was Blood Brothers. Because again, right. only Castor has those memories of them being like Blood Brothers. Like, and at that moment where he does save him, you could tell Polixis, you know, he's like, yes, he like, we're here. He's here. We're together again type thing. So it's like that moment that Polixis kind of feels that he's always kind of felt this bond, but he doesn't have those memories to kind of, you know, seal in this bond. But at the same time, when that all was happening, I was like, get a room. <laughs> you know, uh, so I brought, yeah. I brought this up with something else, but I'm going to talk about this other anime that I talked about all this time called Escaflone. The reason why I'm going to bring it up this time is because this centers around two brothers. One is on the bad side because something went wrong. Yeah. And then you have the, the lead character. Well, every single time the lead character comes across his brother because he's com- he has like he's going to kill him. You know, in Japanese, I'm sure the line is like, you know, Onisa- like Onisan or something like that. But in English, was what I saw it. Well, he's like, brother! Every time he comes in. And that's what this reminded me of. Every time they came in somewhere, I was imagining one of them just yelling that. That's accurate. That's entirely accurate. So I guess I, it felt like we were constantly being told they were brothers, but I didn't really feel that, I didn't really feel that it mattered per se. To your point, I think they still probably would have rescued their apothecary. But it wouldn't have been the chaplain. Right. It wouldn't have been the chaplain going to do it. And I don't, I don't know if that really made a difference. Like, I, I don't know what I was expecting, but it is so unique to have two blood brothers mm-hmm. in this unit together. I I guess I, I don't know what I was expecting with it, but I was expecting, I think, a little bit more. I guess. But again, like we were saying, the reason why Plexus was captured was far more fascinating than the rescue. Yes, I would agree with that. But... That also goes towards the orcs just being a little bit more interesting. Right. Right. Do you want to give us the summary of why he was captured? Oh, well, so the the big bad, what's his name? Urgork. Urgork. I don't think he was like a real orc. (laughs) He was like a Frankenstein. A literal Frankenstein that had been stitched together. Because they talk about how, like, even his flesh is all different colors of green because he's been stitched together from different... So, one of the things to know about orcs is that if an orc has his arm cut off, he can go over to another dead orc, grab his arm, and slap it on, basically. Well, yeah. and They're disgusting. And basically, um, he's kind of a hodgepodge. Like, I think they talk about how one leg is longer than the other, the arms don't match... You know, and of course, like, he's, like, even split down the middle of his face with the different colors, and he's got two different colored eyes, and Plex all the time is like, ugh, like, <laughs> works are gross, but you, that's pretty you bad. Pick, but he's not well, which right. kind of made me think, made me wonder how he's even um, the war chief in the first place, because Ooh. when he has one of his seizure moments and the pain boy's not around, that's plenty of opportunity for those other orcs to come in and just off him because he would get these seizures and they wouldn't be like you know uh like epileptic fit it would be just you know the comatose frozen seizures and he and his doctor would have to give him an injection but they were coming on more and more frequently because basically his body was rejecting this whatever it was and he was but he saw you know He's seen so many apothecaries out there stitching people back together and bringing them back to life. And they know so much about medicines. He's like, well, I want one to fix me. Which is great. Well, so if I think, did you read the chains of Yarrick? Did you read Yarrick? I think it's the chains of... I did, I've not read anything Yarrick. 
Okay. So there's a short story. I want to say it's Chains of Golgotha, but um, I can't think of what it is. But anyways, he um, they talk about how some of the orcs, once they get like really old and they've been around for a while, they do start to notice stuff and get a little smarter. Most of them just don't live that long. So the reason that I've always loved that story is that the very end, Yarrick is captured. He keeps trying to escape. The orcs keep tying him back up. And then finally at the end, oh God, Graza Thraka? Yeah, Thraka. I can't remember the rest of his name, but he, an orc boss, like a really ancient orc boss comes over and he grabs Yarrick and he says that he says to him in perfect high gothic, you are my greatest enemy. Good enemies are hard to find. I'll see you at the Armageddon. And then kind of lets him go. But the fact that he spoke to him in perfect high gothic, mm-hmm. he was like, oh no. And he was probably also a massive giant because they talk about how the orcs never stop growing, which is why the war chiefs are the war chiefs because they're the biggest. If they get to live that long to be that big. Yeah, I think Thraka is described as being like Primarch sized at this point. And he's mostly metal too. But they have a figure for him. He's pretty cool looking. But yeah, I mean, it's little things like that that I actually thought was, I actually would have liked them to have dove, dive gone into that a little bit more well they went into it a pretty good amount i think i liked and i did love actually i love the scene when Polixis is like i'm never gonna help you and ergok is like yeah okay i kind of figured that out now <laughs> i realize that um so question will yes. this make a good movie no i think you're right and i think the reason i think this would make a good movie for fans only because the orcs are really fun, but you really have to have more than a passing knowledge of, you really have to have a pretty good knowledge of Warhammer 40k for it, I think, to really appreciate what's going on. The only way this would be good is if it was, is if you had hardly anything about the Marines, it did not matter about Castor and Polixis being related. Um, you know, there'd be the mystery of why they were trying to seek after, you know, this apothecary. And then you find it out. But then I don't know what a good conclusion would be. I mean, it'd, it'd be kind of, you know, let down no, no matter what. Um, but if you had like any focus on the Marines themselves or even on the guard, I think you would lose any potential for this. Because if you're going to focus on the guard to get that perspective, well, then you are have to focus on the whole picture. And I don't think the whole picture is very good. To be on the screen. I agree. So usually I like to talk about, you know, who would you cast as this? I'm not sure I would cast it. I don't think I'd make a great movie. Um, If anything, I would love to hear the orcs talk. Absolutely love to hear that. Um, But that's about the extent. Right. Bring those voice actors back from a space marine game. God, that'd be amazing. I think wasn't um wasn't Fred Tatashore, wasn't he one of the voices in that? He could have been. Because he I, does that good deep growly. I mean, voice. you need a growly voice. You call Fred. I mean this is Right. Yeah, since Frank is getting a little old. Um so I mean No, see, it, no, you call Frank when you want a drunk dishwasher underwater. <laughs> Good reference. Um, so, um, I don't, overall, I would say that I don't regret having read it. No, I don't regret it either. It's just far from one of my favorites. Right. And I like, I, so, so I was trying to think about, like, in terms of, since everybody knows I wrote, well, if you don't know, visit warhammer40kbookclub.com. For our guide, I always like to tell people, like, the order of books I would read and, like, suggestions for, well, if you want to know about this, read this. Mm -hmm. I guess I would say, like, look, if you really want a fun orc book, this is going to scratch your orc itch. And let's let's pretend I didn't say that. Um, That it's, but that's about it. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody who was looking for a great Primaris story. I wouldn't look at, I would definitely wouldn't point to this. For anybody who wants to know what Primaris Space Marines are, no, because I think after I think I told you because I was going to read this before um, 
Dark Imperium. Right. But then we formed the book club thing. I was like, okay, I'll wait. Well, after the first two chapters, I am so glad I read Dark Imperium first because I would be like, who? What? What are these right. people? What's a, what's a, what's a Primaris? Yeah, I was, this book is definitely assumes that you know what's going on in the post-Cadia world. Well, either you read Dark Imperium or you've read the, the new Codex. Yes. You, you know, you know the score. Mm-hmm. Because they don't, I mean, they make some passing references to the Primaris, but they don't really explain who, what, when, where, why, how. Right. So I feel, honestly, I think that, and I might even put that on our new, on the guide as an update. Dark Imperium is the starting point for Primaris. I, for me, I feel like it gives the yes. best explanation with a good story that's moving forward and doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this would definitely, if, if you want a fun orc story, this is your Huckleberry. Yeah, I mean, I recommend this just for a different perspective on the orcs. Yeah. And maybe you don't think that, you, that you'd want one. Well, just go to, like she said, go to Reddit, uh, go to Orc Science, read that. I'm like, okay, now you do want to different perspective well here you go yeah and if you're thinking to yourself i've read orc science i don't think i really want to read a whole book like that it's it's much better than that and again as i said the dialogue it's cockney but it's like it's not over exaggerated it's not eliza doolittle it's more like basher from the oceans uh or see actually uh the good example would be like it'd be anybody out of the movie snatch but not brad pitt's character who, as an American, when he talked, I was like, what? Um, it's easy to read. Oh, it, the directors it, don't know what he what? said either. <laughs> like the oh. sub, like a friend of mine, they were watching that movie. And they're like, we're going to put some subtitles so that we know what he's saying. They said some parts are just question marks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, But yeah, that part was fun. But other than that, I have to say I'm excited. I'm more excited for our next book. I think this was a really good break after reading the Magos. And a good break from Dark Imperium, but I'm more excited to read our next book, which is Dark Imperium Plague War by Guy Haley, direct sequel to Dark Imperium. So if you haven't yet read that, definitely Mm -hmm. go back, do the thing. Um, But we will be talking about this. We'll be having a post on the website with all of our questions that we're going to talk about. Follow along with us. I think this one, I'm really excited for this one. My husband already read this. This is the fun story in our house is that we buy two copies of books because he buys them on iBooks and I don't have an iPad. And I'm not reading on a phone. Don't And iBooks sucks, people. It does, but my husband... I know. He's special. Well, being Gen X really uses technology like a boomer. So... He's special. He's very special. Um, He's still living in the analog childhood. (laughs) Yes, pretty... I mean, he just got a smartphone, like a year and a half ago. Um, so but I am so excited to read this. He has, I mean, he has been like, are you reading it yet? Are you reading it yet? So really excited for it. Um, mostly, I'm not going to lie. I'm excited to see more Mortarian. Yeah. I mean, cause I've never even heard of the death guard really until, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so behind on all this stuff that I am catching up as fast as I can. And, well, uh, we were talking. We were talking the other day randomly about Space Marine chapters that I kind of forget exist sometimes. Like, if when I start listing off the chapters, I often forget that the Iron Hands are a thing. Forget about the White Scars a little bit, the Space Mongolians. Um, I I forget that the Word Bearers exist. That's probably intentional because I hate Lorgar. I do occasionally when I'm going through and I'm like, oh, there's all these, and then I have to like go by the fourth Chaos Gods. That's mm-hmm. the only reason I can remember that the Death Guard exists. Well, you know, because in most of the stuff that I've read, uh, let's see, the Ultramarines didn't really deal with chaos. Say the Tyranids. Well, yeah, no, the Iron Warriors. The Iron Warriors. So they but they're with, chaos undivided, right? Or like um, in the Eisenhorn, that was also I think chaos undivided because they just talked about the chaos Space Marines. They didn't say what faction. So I mean, I knew of Nurgle, but I didn't know about the Death Guard per se. Well, and I think we t- yes more t- intestines. Are you going to drop any more like dead whales, Guy Haley? Because I can't deal with any more whales. I thought the whale was so amazing. It was so funny to me that you and I had such polar opposite. Like I got to the end of that book and was like, I want to paint a Death Guard army, and you were like, I don't ever want to read this ever again. 
So I thought it was really funny. But, you know, for me, the biggest thing, the thing that I'm most excited about this book is something that they touched on in Dark Imperium was that, so I had always looked at, because I think because I had Magnus as an example and Fulgrim and um, Angron, that I always assumed that here you have these demon princes who worship this absolutely. And Mertarian was always a little weird because he was so, so opposed to psychers and magic. And he was the biggest advocate for the Council of Nikea. And so it was always a little weird to me that then mm -hmm. he became a demon prince. And it looks like maybe things aren't well in their home currently, since he and Typhus are directly fighting each other. Um, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for this book. So, and he has his adopted father's soul in a jar. As one does. I, I, you know, I don't know why I said anything. Makes sense to me. When you become, uh, when you ascend to a demon prince, I, maybe you'll put your dad's soul in a jar so you can talk to it every day. I mean. Okay, if I'm going to become a demon prince or princess, it's not going to be to Nurgle because that's nasty shit. <laughs> Well, he got wings. So, I don't care. This is one of the jokes that I always make is that, so like Fulgrim turns into a snake and has extra arms and- He becomes a tentacle monster. He becomes hentai. Yes. And they, and Angron becomes just this rage monster, right? Where it's just this And um, let's see, Magnus really, really leans into the demon with the giant horns and everything. and. Mortarion got wings. Like, I feel like in terms of mutations, he pretty light, got off pretty light, actually. Yeah, so but just, he has to look at all that. <laughs> I'd be constantly puking. No. Actually, the looks wouldn't bother me so bad as the smell. You know, and, you I, know and I said this on Twitter, but, you know, Guy Haley, you are an amazing writer because I swear to God, in reading Dark Imperium, I could smell it. That's oh. just how, like, how deep he, just how expressive he was able to get. And, like, like I was telling you the other day, I was getting into a Twitter thing between him and Graham McNeil because I was, like I said, I was reading about the plague planet and um, false gods. And I was like, my God, this is just nasty. What is wrong with you two? And they're both bantering with me and they're still, but they're making everything worse. And then I realized I'm eating yogurt while talking to them. Like, this is a mistake. <laughs> this is awful. Oh yeah, I when I was reading Dark Imperium, one of my cats decided that then was a really good time to hork up dinner, and I was just like, really, it's thematically fitting, and it like usually that doesn't bother me, but it really bothered me after that. Now like, you Argh. really can smell it. Yes, but do you want to take us out, Carrie? Yes, I think I think I will. So, yes, so get ready, Plague War. I just happened to notice on the back this is going to be a trilogy, so book two. Yes. I know. I'm pretty excited about that. Yes. Queen of Nurgle. Would you say yes or would it be more like a black <laughs> queen? I think you would just yell ashes. All is dust. All is dust. Yeah. So oh, wait, that's never mind. <laughs> so yeah, so next next book is going to be a plague war. If you have any other books, we've actually already kind of made a list of what we are going to be reading, but we will take suggestions. If you guys, yes. if there's any books out there, you're like, okay, you guys have to read this. Do not recommend anything in Horus Heresy out of order because I won't do it. <laughs> this is not me. Um, but really, anything like I, I don't care. Like, I'll, like we'll read about you know Imperial Guardsmen, about you know Chaos Gods, anything. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, we will happily take it under advisement because because Lord knows we need to give more money to Black Library and Amazon to give us more books. We both ordered books to get here by Mother's Day. Give you an idea. It's a gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, and um, I might have already owned one because I'm an idiot. So I might be giving one of those away. Which one? Uh, Black Legion. Anyways. I need to, like, look at my library before I buy anything. So the second time I've done that. Anyway, so thank you all again for, you know, viewing listening to us of course you can find us on the website we're also on youtube uh, you find the podcast just the audio part um also on the website but on itunes and google podcasts and stitcher 
You can follow Jen and I on Twitter. I'm at Crunchy Chocobo. She is at Jen Bozier. And the uh, website is at WH40K Book Club. And so I guess we'll come back in about... You know, we've been reading things pretty quickly, so I don't know if we can do like a month, but we'll be back like probably in a few weeks. Yeah, to do maybe. This. Like, how long is this one? It's not very long. No. I'm real excited to read it. No, it's it's not. I mean, um, honestly, after reading the Magos in like two weeks, like anything else just feels like that's no big deal. Um, so we might be like doing like bi-monthly instead of just monthly. That's kind of crazy, but it's going to be so much fun. So, and with that, I guess we'll just see and talk to y'all in uh, a few weeks. Pick up the Plague War. If you haven't picked up Dark Imperium, read that one first. Yes, definitely. Uh, yeah. yeah. Grab it. Get Too hype. Very excited. All right. With that, say goodnight, everybody. Good night, everybody. We read from a crag. That's right. We do read from a crag. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>